Welcome to the Women's Leadership Network podcast series. This series was created as a means to encourage, inspire, and empower women who want to make their lives better. I didn't begin my career saying, oh, I wanted to be a partner in a law firm or I wanted to be a general counsel. So I think it's being open to opportunities. So looking back, I think I would be pleased that I did that and probably at the time would never have thought I would have done that. We look for current issues and challenges facing women in the legal world and offer ways of tackling these issues as well as provide a community of support and engagement. I'm Jeannie Forrest, one of the vice deans at NYU School of Law, but it's in my role as co-chair of the Women's Leadership Network that we're having this conversation. Our guest today is Maureen Brundage, former executive vice president, general counsel, corporate secretary, and chief ethics officer of the Chubb Corporation, where she worked for over 10 years. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Fordham University and a JD from NYU School of Law, where she was editor-in-chief of our annual survey of American law. In other words, we got a rock star on our hands here. Happy to welcome you here, Maureen. And I understand that our general theme will be the importance of networking. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So happy. Um, Sometimes we look back, and you had a little moment to do that when I was recounting your resume just now, and we realized just how much we've gotten done. I sometimes like those moments, and sometimes it just makes me feel old. But because this podcast is oriented around women, I would love to start with this. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a law student, as a professional, and maybe how being a woman impacted both of those roles. In hindsight, which is, uh, it's always looking back, uh, law school was a phenomenal experience. Over the years, I've realized how much it uh, changed how I approach and think about problems while you're going through it. You're not realizing it is having that impact on you. When I was a senior in college, I did not know what I wanted to do. My father, in fact, encouraged me to apply to law school and to go to law school, and I decided that was easier to do than figuring out what job I wanted to do. So I sort of fell into law school as opposed to always knowing it was my passion and my career. So I remember back in my first semester at law school, we was sort of clueless as to what people were looking for. And handing in our contract exam, we all talked about we were going to get jobs in a restaurant because that's the only thing probably we were qualified to do. And over time, it all worked out and things came together and you got the hang of it. In fact, career-wise, my securities law class I took my second year in law school is what uh, made me decide that I wanted a career focusing on securities laws. So it really had a huge impact on me professionally. In addition, you mentioned annual survey. It was a phenomenal experience, and it gave me a family at the law school. And in fact, I'm still in touch with a number of people that I worked with on annual survey. I never really thought much in law school about being a woman. Uh, Over half my class were women. The class, uh, all were very impressive, women included. So for me, it wasn't ever really an issue. I was a summer associate at and Case and then uh, joined the firm full time. And again, it was a positive experience for me. I never felt that I was being given make work or not exciting, challenging work because I was a woman. In fact, sometimes I asked, how could I get some of the more boring work because it would be less hours? So it it was really a wonderful experience. And that's not to say that there are times that there weren't 
uh, things that happened or comments that were said that would raise the fact that you were a woman. So for example, I remember being uh, at a financial printer with a client and I think I was a summer associate at the time, and he commented that he had a daughter about my age and how wonderful it is that I could be in, in law school and that I could be working at a firm. So I think he meant it kindly, but it was a comment. Another time, this was when I was a partner, I was flying down to Mexico, and next to me uh, sat the CFO of a large Mexican company, and he was amazed that I was a woman and I was working and was totally blown away when he found out that I was a mother and had children at home, so why was I working? So those situations happen. I think you have to take them in stride. For me, it made me more determined to work harder, to demonstrate that I had the capability ability to do well in certain areas that really was a man's world. I was recruited from White and Case to go to Chubb, and Chubb it was a, another phenomenal experience in a very unusual place because they have a lot of women and a lot of women in management at Chubb, and Chubb was uh, ahead of the game in terms of diversity. So the Women's Development Council that you mentioned has been around for over 35 years. It's sort of unheard of in companies that you would have a company focusing on women and developing women within the organization. Now, again, that's not saying there weren't issues. There were very few women in the C-suite. You know, I was one, the head of HR was another. Uh, very few women in top profit and loss areas, which are really important in the company. But it was something that our CEO and our board was definitely very focused on annually. There were presentations to the board to give them data and statistics about how the company was doing in terms of diversity efforts. But there was still room for improvement and will continue to be not just at Chubb, but at other companies as well. I believe that being a woman and, in fact, also being a mother has given me a lot of skills that have helped me in my career. I think I'm a good listener as a result of that, a good communicator. I appreciate the importance of communication, and I also think it's made me be a more thoughtful decision maker as well. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Chubb's investment in diversity. Chubb was a top company for diversity, actually named that by Diversity Inc. magazine. And in 2014, the company got a perfect score on the human rights campaign Corporate Equality Index, which is a pretty important indicator of the American workplace on LGBT equality. Why do we care? Why do we care about diversity? Why does it matter? It clearly matters to you. I think it is very important in, in any profession or any company and for a variety of reasons. You want the best decisions to be made, and to get the best decisions, you really need to have a broad lens in examining issues, questions, and the facts that come to bear in making the decision. When you have people with diverse backgrounds and diverse experience, each brings those experience to the decision-making process and a different lens that they look at the issue and the problem. And I think if you don't have that, you may be missing a fact or an aspect of a pro you know trying to solve a problem that you're missing out on something. Also, every organization wants the best talent. So if you want the best talent, you really need to 
go and look at the broadest population out there, including diverse and not diverse, to make sure that you are really getting the top talent. And to get that top talent, you have to demonstrate that you care about diversity. You have to have diverse people, and you also have to demonstrate that it's really important to you, and a diverse person will thrive in the organization. So I think that's important. Uh, Obviously, law firms and companies are in business. Uh, They're dependent on their customers and their clients, and customers and clients want the best products, the best services, so many of them get and understand. To get that, you really need to have their vendors care about diversity and have diverse populations. So at Chubb, it was really important to me that the law firm did not just show up at the pitch and have the token woman as part of the team but actually that that woman would work on the matter and ideally that that woman would be the lead partner or have a very important role in it. So I think more and more companies are really getting the point. There's also been a lot of studies that have been done that show that companies that care about diversity do much better. I believe there was recently a study by McKinsey with uh, uh, boards of directors that have women on the boards and that uh, companies will do better having at least two or three women on the board of directors, that the results show that that had a positive impact or at least was demonstrated in the results of the company that having women also resulted in the company having positive results. So I think for all those reasons, diversity just makes plain business sense. I love it when uh, we start to impact the bottom line. There's a recent article in Harvard Business Review that says if there are 30% and above women in their C-suite, that there's a 15% increase in productivity that correlates. So it definitely hits the bottom line. And I think for some companies and some executives, you have to speak business to them. So it has to be important for them and it has to be a business imperative. And sometimes the fact it's the right thing to do is not enough. So I think the fact you can combine that is both the right thing to do and it makes business sense and it will help them in the long run. I think that's really powerful and that's what you really have to focus on and try to drive in many organizations. There's a sense that policy changes, not just about diversity, but about everything, um, tend to be top-down, handed down to us from the management. How can younger lawyers and our recent graduates, when they're just starting out in their careers, contribute to these efforts? I think you need to get involved in organizations. You have to show that you really do care and that these issues do matter to you. Many organizations really rely and are made up of volunteers. So they need people to help with efforts. They need people to help direct what they're doing. I think young people can influence what the agendas are of the organization. I know, for example, another group that I'm a member of is the Association of Corporate Counsel, and they've been focused uh, very much on generational diversity and how do you perpetuate the organization when it's currently run by baby boomers who are going to be going away and retiring and trying to get young professionals much more involved in the organization and understanding what's important to them and how they want to interact with people and how they want to go about things is very different and that you really need to get younger people involved so you get that perspective and whether it's communicating through Twitter and no longer, you know, snail mail or no longer, you know, even email. I I probably date myself by using email. So it's really important. I think there are really very good opportunities for young people. I think it's important at the law firms that you may join or the companies that you join 
going to seek out those organizations within to ask them to help you know, uh, pay your way in joining those organizations. But I think it's important to raise your hand and show that you really care. And I think you can do a lot and be involved in it if it's something that you really seek out and try to do. You're saying there's an open door. I think there is definitely an open door. And it's also a wonderful opportunity to network and also to learn speaking skills because a lot of times there's opportunities to either run a panel or to help coordinate various speakers who so it really uh, can bring a lot of different skills to bear and can be a great development opportunity for young people. Obviously, you need to balance it with your, your day job and what you're going to be doing in your job, but a lot of organizations, I think, uh, support the activity, and I think it is a there are real opportunities out there if you just sort of look for them and are willing to raise your hand and help. You're getting at that very sexy word, networking. It's interesting because very often we say how important it is to network. I personally am guilty of thinking, oh, I really need to go to this women in leadership luncheon. And then I think, oh, damn, my inbox is so full. And it's hard. It feels like that's a that's a challenge. So networking across, regardless of your industry, is considered this huge, important element in career progression and establishing connections, maintaining them. But they can be difficult for women, especially when they're trying to balance family commitments with networking events and the feeling of the pressure at work. Can you talk a little bit about what networking is and its importance professionally? Because I know I think of you as the queen of networking now. I'm not sure I'm the queen of networking, but I do recognize the importance of it. I would define it to be it's seeking out opportunities to meet new people Uh, establish new relationships, but also to maintain and expand the relationships you have. Um, I believe it's never too early to begin it. And I really think, especially again in hindsight, it's really critical for success. Uh, It also makes you a more interesting person. And believe it or not, it can be fun if you open yourself up to it. I've always said that I, I still find it surprising that law schools do not do more training for students on the importance of building relationships, uh, marketing skills, sales skills, because whatever path you take, those skills are going to be really important for whatever you do. So obviously at a law firm, you need to build relationships within the firm with your fellow associates, with even support staff, and definitely with partners. Obviously, it's important to build uh, client relationships, and ideally, if you can, to find opportunities to bring in new clients. But if you go into government, if you go in-house, same sort of thing, relationships are what help your career, uh, help you every day, and help you down the road and into the future. So it's really important, I think, to have those skills. It can be very time-consuming, and as you said, I think you need to make it a priority, or at least not to be, it's the thing that always gets cut. And I think we have a tendency to do that, that you're focused on doing your job, and then in your your time not working, you're focused on family, which is great and important. And then if it's a networking thing, it's like, oh, I'm just not going to go to that. And you wind up looking, and you're never going to something. So I think it's important that you get it on your calendar and start with an easy goal. So for example, saying, okay, once a month or once every other month, I'm going to go to one event 
that is a networking event. And maybe it's something large or maybe it's something really small, just having dinner or coffee with someone, but to set a easy measure and to get the hang of it and have it be part of your routine. And I think once you do that, you'll get more used to it. And it is really important, I think, for your future development as a lawyer and also just as a human being. Again, I think it makes you a more interesting person, the more uh, conversations you have and more activities. And you never know over a cocktail party or over coffee what interesting thing you're going to learn that may not be relevant today, but it would be relevant for you down the line. So you meet somebody at a cocktail party and networking isn't just meeting them, but it's also giving them your business card, finding that point of connection, sending them an article three weeks later because you've logged them into your Again, I'm dating myself by saying Rolodex, but you're logging them in your context. I had a senior partner at a major New York law firm tell me that when he's sitting on the runway in the airport um, and he's stuck, he says, and everybody's complaining about the delay, he uses that moment to think through his clients and then actually send whoever comes to his mind, send them a quick note that's just social and warm and not necessarily work-related, just to let them know that He's thinking about them. And that kind of ease doesn't come naturally, I think, to a lot of us, especially if we have an introverted tendency. It's like, wait, I'm kind of, I feel kind of shy. I don't want to be dropped in a room full of people. But the follow-up is what's important, it sounds like. Right. I believe, I think we all believe we're, um, that we are inherently not good networkers and we're introverted. And I think it's something that you have to just push yourself to do. Sometimes there may be a belief that, oh, women are not as good at it as it is men, which I don't think is really true. I think there are women who are just as good, if not better, and men who are just as shy as some women would think they would be. So I think it's just something that you just need to get out of your comfort zone and go and do it, and you will be, you will be surprised how many connections you are able to make. And I think the more you do it, the more comfortable you do it. Even today, there are times where I'll go to an event and there's a group together and you have to break into the group to get into the conversations and part of you wants to just turn around and run out the door and you just make yourself do it and you'll be surprised what comes from it. Not always do you get a good connection and somebody that you want to stay in touch with, but it really is important, um, I think, to, to make yourself do it and to try to do it. One thing that's also sometimes uh, is viewed that women aren't, don't have as many opportunities is the idea that women maybe have a bigger role in child rearing. And therefore, when somebody has to give something up and get home to put the child to bed, it's the woman and not the male partner or spouse, as it were. And I think those were all decisions that you make. I remember um, I had a child and a friend of mine who's an architect also had a child at the same time, and she commented that she was the only one who could put her child to sleep. And I decided from the very beginning that because I was not sure if I would get home every night, and in fact many nights did not get home and I'd be traveling, that my husband had to equally know everything I did knew about getting my daughter to sleep, and therefore it would never be an issue that it had to be me and it was not going to be not going to be him. So I think sometimes individuals make decisions, and some of those decisions affect what you can and can't do, but I think it's important that you think about that when you're deciding those things and deciding what really is important to you. 
That makes so much sense. You're talking about networking as this is kind of the lifeblood of what kind of keeps us not only motivated and inspired, but it's also really helpful as far as professional success. Do you have a specific thing that you attribute your success to? Like your, we joke about this around here. Like, what's your superpower? What's your secret sauce? Yeah, I'm not sure I have any superpower. Um, I believe I got where I did because my willingness to really work very hard, first of all, and secondly, not to shy away from challenges. When faced with very difficult situation, I've come to realize that I have a capability deep within me that sometimes I did not give myself credit for. There's this inner strength that you really can bring to bear when the, uh, the going gets uh, rough. And the realization that I have that has enabled me to say yes more times. Um, So for example, going to Chubb, I had no insurance experience. I had been at White and Case 24 years. It was home. It was family. It was a big change to all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to make this career switch and go in-house and leave everything I knew and everyone I knew sort of behind and go into an industry that was really new to me and that I really had to learn. But I think realizing that you have strength within you to rise to the challenge and to do well with it, I think really does help. I think it's important not to say or feel that you have to say yes to everything. Uh, Sometimes the best thing is to say no. So for example, when I was at White & Case, I was doing a lot of work on tax-exempt bonds, and the partner I was working for wanted me to commit to go 100% doing tax-exempt bonds. And at the time, I decided I didn't want to do that. It just, I wanted a more broader securities experience. So I said no. I felt bad because I was not going to be able to work with him again. Well, P.S., if you fast forward two years, he had left the firm to go to an investment banking firm. The tax laws had changed, so a lot of the work we were doing was gone. So for me professionally, no was the right answer. But I think you have to be strategic and careful when you say no. You need to be willing to say yes, but when it is right for you, I think no sometimes is the right answer, and you just need to have the wherewithal to figure out when to say yes and when to say no. When it's actually in your best interest. Yes. So then I'm going to put this on you, Maureen. I think your superpower is grit, because there's a certain kind of tenacity that you're describing. It's just like, okay, all the social scientists say now that women uh, hold back until they're absolutely sure they have the right answer. And obviously, this is a massive generalization. And men tend to be like, hell for leather, let's jump in. Um, I only know 10 or 30% of what I need to know, but I'll try it. And it sounds like there's some tenacity here that you're describing that's really critical. I think that is really important. And to your point, what you hear all the time, and I've seen this in practice even with myself, that looking at a job description, that a woman will look and unless she hits 80%, maybe 100% of everything the job is at, you know, they say they're looking for, will not even apply for the job. While the man, if he hits 30%, he'll go ahead and apply for the job. So I think you need to think about that as a woman when you're approaching, whether it's a job opportunity or somebody asks you to do something that you don't necessarily have to have every skill that's being called for that you you can have core skills and can still do very well in the position. You can power through, <laughs> which is a good thing. You mentioned um, earlier, and I flagged it, and then I, I didn't talk about it. Um, you mentioned your role as a parent 
first of all, I have to ask you the question, work-life balance. Is there such a thing? And if so, what does that mean to you? I'm not sure I believe in work-life balance. I call it work-life juggling. A balance to me implies that you can figure out the right amount of both all the time. And I don't think that is uh, something that really is achievable. I think each individual needs to decide what is important to her, what her priorities are, and what the right mix is. And you have to realize that you cannot do all, either in terms of your work or family. One size does not fit all, and I think it's important that you have to evaluate your own circumstances and situation, and again, your values, uh, if you have a spouse or partner, their values, what is really important to you to decide what the right mix is. So for example, for me, many of my friends thought it was very important to have date night with their husband or, or partner. For me, that was not important. I wanted to spend time with my children because I was at work all the time. So uh, it may not have been ideal in terms of what my husband wanted, but I think we both agreed that it was important for us to spend more time with our children. But that was something that was important to me, but is not important necessarily to everyone. So I think everyone has to decide for themselves what their priorities are. I believe you can do some things to help with the work-life balance or juggling, as, as I would refer to it. So, for example, you decide and realize you're not going to make it to every one of your son's baseball games, but decide that you're going to prioritize making it to his Saturday game. So if a client wants to have a phone call at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, which is the time of your son's game, it's fine to say, would it be possible to do it at 11 or would it be possible to do it the night before? to raise the issues that you have with timing. And sometimes you'll be pleasantly surprised that they say, fine, there's no issue at all. You know, similarly, Friday afternoons, you get called and you're given an assignment, uh, whether it's by a partner or a client calls you, and you right away assume, oh, it's due either first thing Monday morning or it's in fact due Saturday morning, and you run and do it. Well, sometimes it's good to ask. Or what I would recommend sometimes that people do is to say, is this okay if I get this to you by Monday afternoon unless you need it sooner? But it's important, I think, to be to ask questions and to uh, try to build around your personal life to try to have work not necessarily interfere with it when it sometimes does not have to interfere. I love that just communicating clearly on that makes sense. I think that... <laughs> We've heard a lot about the word sacrifice and that there's a pressure to give something up in order to stay on track professionally, especially on a partner track in a law firm. So I love the idea that you're saying you're using the word juggle, that you just really have to decide on what your priorities are. And then it's not so much about a sacrifice. It is about just stating things clearly and putting it in that perspective helps. You've mentioned being a mother has taught you certain things that you then brought to the workplace. I don't. Uh, I have very often been uh, guilty of telling stories about my kids, and so now I ask their permission, so uh, we'll have to prepare Brian and Katie for the fact that we might be talking about them. But what did you bring as a parent to the workplace? That How did that tr uh, translate? 
I think as a mother, you learn patience and you learn to listen and to assess the whole situation. So for example, your child comes home from school and announces they hate school and they're never going back again. And you sit down and you listen to them and let them complain and whine and you ask questions and you remain calm. And then you realize it was not about school really at all. It's about Susie's having a party and everyone is invited but your daughter. And uh, that's really what the issue is about. Uh, So for me, it taught that the same skills apply in the work setting, that you'll have someone who works for you come in and they're upset about something or concerned about something. And sometimes the issue that they're raising initially or they come in and they're all worked up about is not really the heart of the issue, that there are other things going on. So to take the time and let the person vet, to listen to their concerns, to ask questions, to delve more into it, to me has been very, very helpful in the workplace. Sometimes emotions mask what the real issue is. So taking the time, remaining calm, and being patient to try to get to what the heart of the issue is, and then to figure out how it is you can help the person resolve it. Another one I've learned is the issue about or importance of letting your child fight their own battles. So that's one that I think as a parent, you always want to step in and you want to solve it for them. And you learn over time now it's important that you've got to let them uh, do it themselves. You can be behind the scenes and help guiding them and be there for moral support. But there are battles that they need to go and deal with. Well, the same is true in the work setting. You may have, again, people who work for you who are having issues with the business people. Sometimes it maybe is a significant enough issue that you do need to go and do battle for them. But many times it's really important that they have to do and work out the issue with the business person themselves. And again, you should be there for moral support to give guidance to be behind the scenes. But it's important for you not to be the one to always step in and solve the problems for them. Um, I think as a manager, you're not helping your person develop, and you're probably adversely affecting their relationship with the business person. So those are some of the things that I've learned as being a parent, I think, was really very helpful in, in applying to being a manager as well and helping people develop. It sounds like I would want you to be my boss. (laughs) There's a a capacity for nurturing and empathy. Um, It sounds like that it's also on the same plate, really, as the capacity to sit back and allow independence to emerge and autonomy and strength, which is wonderful. Right. And I think, again, as we talked about the thing about juggling and balance, you need a bit of both. So again, I think you need, you know, sometimes you do need to get more proactive and help push your reports and and the people on your team to do more, but sometimes you need to let them figure it out and let them sometimes make mistakes, uh, but it has to be theirs and that you learn from the mistake. And obviously, you know, we all as parents have gone through it about the learning moments for your children when they do something wrong or something goes wrong. It's a wonderful learning opportunity. The same thing happens in the workplace, I think, as well. So I think as a manager, you, again, getting the right balance and trying to be that you're there and you're supportive, but you're also letting your people uh, do their job and, and develop accordingly. Daniel Goleman calls that emotional intelligence, you know, that capacity to be uh, self-aware and socially aware both. So it sounds like that you're not only a great manager, but a great mom. Oh, well, we'll see. We always joke that 
this was again when I was a young lawyer and with other, uh, with other of my associate friends who had children, that it would all come out when our kids were in therapy, how mom wasn't there. So luckily, neither of my kids have yet needed therapy. So, so far, so good, I hope. It sounds like you learned some good lessons. I wanted to try and make these short enough so that our women students can listen to them in between and on the way uh, to wherever it is they're going. And I always like to end the podcast with a question about what advice you'd give yourself. If you look back on when you're in law school or when you were a young professional, what advice would you give to yourself? One is enjoy the experience. It'll be over before you know it. It is a phenomenal opportunity to learn, so make sure you take full advantage of it. And at least back when I was in my third year, I had Fridays off, so enjoy that if you can manage to do that. Again, as we've talked about earlier, it really is important to establish relationships and keep up the relationships, including your friends in law school. You know, now I've uh, had the opportunity now to reach out to many more people and have had wonderful time connecting with people that I went to law school with. And it's, again, never too early to begin and to begin those connections and to help develop those skills that really will take you far. On the same note, what do you think your younger self would think of you now? I think I would have be pretty amazed with what I've achieved, especially for someone who wound up in law school because she didn't know what else she wanted to do with her life. So it all has really worked out and uh, worked out really well. And what I encourage in talking to my daughter, you never know where life is going to take you. And again, it's the, the importance of saying yes sometimes is, you know, I didn't begin my career saying, oh, I wanted to be a partner in a, in a law firm or I wanted to be a general counsel. I just decided I liked practicing law. I liked doing securities law. So I began and started doing that. And one thing led to another. So I think it's being open to opportunities. So looking back, I think I would be pleased that I did that and probably at the time would never have thought I would have done that. So it sounds like your younger self would, would look up at your older self and say, hey, I'm really proud of you. I, I hope so. I believe so. Well, we're proud of you, too. Thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you very much for doing this. I think it's a great opportunity, and hopefully some of my remarks will help. For more information about the Women's Leadership Network at NYU School of Law, and to access more episodes in this series, please visit us online at law.nyu.edu slash women's leadership. Thank you.